everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 229, The Late Show, recorded March 6th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show where we speak geek in all its rich and various flavors. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark. Hey, Seth. How's it out there in wetland? Because that's what it sounds like from Mark's pre-show work that we just did. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Hey, Chris. Welcome back, everyone. We missed you. Yes, we did. Uh, last week, uh, I was down and out with a migraine. If you've ever dealt with a migraine, you know that you the last thing you want to do is host a podcast when somebody <laughs> is driving a railroad spike through your left temple. So I, I called the guys and said, I've been fighting this all day and I'm losing the battle. I'm going to bed now. I sent that text and I went to bed at like 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, doing much better now. Fortunately, it was a quick one. Uh, I've, I've dealt with migraines since I was a child. Sometimes they last weeks. Unpleasant Oof. in every way. Yes. Um, I, I can sympathize, Mark. I get them too. Yeah. It's not fun. And if you're out there thinking, well, we all get headaches, then you don't know what a migraine is. There's a headache. You know, that's here. That's that's two feet off the ground. And then there's a migraine that's 20,000 feet off the ground. Very different exactly. thing entirely. But we're back. Uh, and Chris was uh, also a bit under the weather last week, so it's uh-huh. probably best that we skipped entirely. Yeah, it was. I was pretty bad. I wasn't. I wasn't as uh, headachey as you were. But if you've ever had fevers of a hundred and two plus, you know that you, the last thing you even think about doing is staring at a t- television screen or computer screen. Yeah, no, no, no. My my littlest one, my seven year old, is a little fevery and, and stuff today. It's it it happens. It's this. It's the change of seasons. But it's it's probably the worst feeling because uh, your whole body is just like fighting against you. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, not fun. And she's one of those, I'm sure I've said it before, I've got, I run the gamut between my three daughters. My oldest uh, will just whine and moan and bawl and just act like the world is on fire if she's got a hangnail. And my little one could be literally on fire and say, it's a little warm in here. Uh, so when she woke up this morning complaining of a sore throat, he's like, all right, this is serious. Let's go to the hospital right now because she complained. Um, she just very stoic. I, one time she said something like, my ear hurts. It was literally, that was all it was. My ear hurts. But again, because she never says anything, we took her to the urgent care and the doctor was like, this is the worst ear infection I've ever seen in my life. And then you feel like a bad parent. Yep. But that was the yep. first she'd said about it. And the doctor said he'd probably been going on for weeks. And, uh, it's the first time she said anything. She just, she sucks it up. Yep. My uh, my daughter's like that. She'll complain about a light headache, and it's like, okay, you you're 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 fevered, and you are pale as a sheet. <laughs> There's something else going on, um, but that's normal for her. She uh, the second she starts feeling bad, it's instant pale. She goes from normal colored to you could you could white balance off of her when she's not <laughs> feeling well. That's how white she gets. Wow. 
Well, uh, this week uh, we've we've been away. You know, like I said, we we missed last week, and uh, and we've kind of had some uh, focused some 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 con- focused conversation shows for the last couple of weeks. So this week, my intention is just kind of let things go and have a free form conversation. There will be some news. There will be some uh, mini rants from you, our listeners. But uh, what you're listening to right now is pretty much what <laughs> I intended the show to be. So if you're thinking, "Gosh, are they ever going to stop talking?" No, actually, we're not. Uh, that's nope. the plan for tonight. Uh, and I just want to share something uh, that happened to me this week. Um, you know, in in I've lived in the Atlanta area for uh, just shy of four years now, and uh, my typical commute uh, is uh, anywhere between an hour uh, and three hours uh, each way, uh, depending entirely on traffic. Um, and it's only twenty five miles, right? So the the best case scenario, if I get up at four o'clock in the morning and miss all the traffic, is that twenty five miles takes thirty minutes. Because there's some traffic, you can't you can't go uh, full out on the in the neighborhood. So it's always a little more than you know sixty mi- a little less than sixty miles an hour. But realistically, it starts at fifty minutes and goes up from there. And in my four years here, I've seen on average ten accidents a week. That's just my number. I haven't actually been keeping track of it, but but uh, about that. And I've always told my wife and my kids, you know, when you live in a densely populated area like that, it's not a question of if you're going to be in a crash, it's when you're going to be in a crash. And and last uh, summer, my wife, it was her turn. Somebody rear-ended her, smashed up her van. Well, this week, it was my turn. I was oh. uh, I was on Interstate 75 downtown, and it was one of those, it was, it was rainy. It was after dark, so it was dark. It was raining. And anybody who lives in a metropolitan area or drives in one knows that there are times when you'll be driving 55 miles an hour, and then suddenly you have to stop. Um, and there's no apparent reason for it. Just the traffic stops. Well, that happened. I stopped, um, managed because I, there was a respectable distance between me and, and the person in front of me. I came to a full stop and was probably at a full stop for eight seconds, right? So it wasn't a bam, bam, bam. I was at a stop and then wham, somebody slammed into me at probably 45 plus miles an hour. So hard. At a full stop in my 3,500 pound gross vehicle weight, half ton pickup truck with my foot on the brake. I was hit so hard that it actually pushed me forward about two feet. Um, but I, there was enough distance between me and the car in front of me. They were never involved. In fact, they just drove on and were completely unaware that anything had happened. We were one one lane to the right of the HOV lane. So this is like a six-lane highway. The, the, the sixth lane is uh, reserved for high-occupancy vehicles. So I pulled across the HOV lane and into the very narrow shoulder. The uh, the driver of the other vehicle, I believe unwisely, pulled across all four other lanes and was on the right-hand side. And now traffic is flying at, at 70 miles an hour in between us, and we are both trapped there. Or she's, she's unable to move. Her vehicle is totaled. Um, it was a small plastic sedan of some sort, and sure. she hit the, the, the solid steel bumper of my pickup truck, and the bumper dented a little, and her car folded in half. Um, so uh, I called 911 and, uh, you know, they came, but I was literally stuck there, could not get out of the vehicle, could not do anything until a fire truck parked behind me and blocked the lane behind me. That's what it took to wow. uh, to make it safe. So two fire trucks came. They blocked all four lanes just long enough for me to pull my truck across and get get out of, of danger. Uh, they made sure everybody was okay. The other driver didn't need any significant medical care. I was fine. They went on their way. And then the police came and filled out the accident report and all that good stuff. So, you know, that that's a whole story that none of you needed to hear. Otherwise, <laughs> than to say, it was my turn. 
And so when you're driving in traffic and you're cursing that accident, just realize that someday it's going to be your turn and you're going to be the, the person somebody's cursing. And it's probably, it's, it's, it's somebody's there of the accident. One person is not at fault. Almost always. Um, and in my case, it was me. Um, I was not at fault and I, I didn't even hear breaks. I think she was completely unaware. Pro- oh pro- no, I'm sure texting. she was very much aware of the texting conversation she yeah. was having. Yeah. And uh, uh, because of that. because of the situation with the traffic, I never saw the person. I only know it was a she because the police report had a female name on it. Um, I never I never saw her. I did ask the officer if she was injured. Um, uh, he said that uh, that she had an injury on her hand. I suspect probably the hand that had the phone in it. Um, and, and she, um, it, you know, it was an inconvenience for me. The whole thing took about an hour and a half by the time, between the time the accident came, the time the, the emergency vehicles could get there in traffic themselves, uh, and could get everything sorted out and I could go on my way. So, uh, you know, the, my already long commute got an hour and a half longer, but Oof. she's now completely disabled. Uh, you know, her, her day got a whole lot worse. So be careful people. Um, and I can't even complain that she was following too closely because I, because there was an eight second gap there, uh, I, I don't think it was a matter of following too closely. I think it was a matter of just not looking at all. And she plowed into me at full highway speeds. So luckily nobody was seriously injured. I yeah, suspect no airbag is, is what prevented her from being injured. Um, I, I need to go, I, I need to take the trucks and see if there's, cause the, you can tell that the steel bumper is bent. But there may very well be some frame damage at that kind of thing, but uh especially at that speed yeah i'm I'm a little sore that soft tissue that you know whole body w- wave running through your body thing I'm sore and stiff and um so anyway, that was my week, yay. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you made it out without any scratches yeah. other than a, a possible. Yeah, it, it could have know. been so much worse. It, I mean, had, uh, you know, had anything gone differently, had I not had my foot on the brake, right? Sometimes because uh, sitting on with your foot on the brake is tiring. It makes your leg tired. Sometimes I'll slip the vehicle up into neutral and just wait when I'm in traffic like that. Right. Had I done that, I would have been pushed right into the car in front of me uh, and there would have been three cars involved in that. Uh, At so, least. You know, had I been driving a smaller vehicle, uh, could have been much more serious damage to me anyway. Um, uh, so, you know, all, all those things that could have happened also had I, you know, not stopped for a burger on the way home, I would have been farther down the way and I wouldn't have been hurt or, or had I stopped for a burger, I, I would have been less far down there. All <laughs> you could always, you could always blame everything on everything, but it all worked out just right that, uh, um, I ruined a lady's night essentially is how that happened. She uh she met uh, uh, a an oppo- uh, immovable object. Yeah, at almost irresistible. <laughs> so yeah, and and you know again the the speed limit there I think is seventy. So it could have been way worse, but we were all going slower because there was some traffic and it was raining. Um, yeah. And and my my estimate of forty miles an hour is just a total guess. That's roughly what pr- traffic was doing. I think at about that time that that's about the speed I had been going before I stopped. So I that's what I think. Uh, yeah. And because I didn't hear any brakes, uh, I don't think she slowed at any point. So I think forty forty five, um, and that's that's tons of force per square inch at those speeds. Yeah, very not, much not so. fun. That's for sure. But uh, not this week, but the last week before we met Seth, finished another that he is now one sixth of his way through his annual goal of twelve five k's a year uh, with a respectable time. 
Yeah, I finished at um forty oh one. But see, here's the thing. I, I had my little um what it runkeeper or whatever app I have, and it measured the distance at like two point eight miles. So how ac- my qu- how accurate are those measurements? Because I would like to think that the course was 5k um and that just that my little gps thing was off so but anyway yeah it was 4001 and um that's why i say there's a little asterisk by it so better than my last time and i think i'll be able to get down under 40 next time um i have decided now that the week after i run my 5k i'm only going to do two um days of running because of i i tried three and um i did monday that was okay wednesday I ended up only running about half of it. And then Friday I was able to do good, uh, running all 48 laps around my driveway, but just running on that concrete and I got to buy some more shoes. So yay, running. Yeah. Runners stuff. R- people who run will tell you, you need to buy new shoes every X number of miles. But if you're a heavy runner, you need to cut that in half. I, you know, yeah. The, it just, they said the way it is. They said 500, and if you're heavy, 250. So I'm thinking maybe 200 for me because yeah. I'm extra heavy. Um, but yeah, I do need uh, some new shoes. And the sad part about that, just three 5Ks a week worth of training. I mean, that's two new pair of shoes a year. Yeah. Right. Fun times. And I, uh, because, you know, I'm a fat guy and, and, you know, all the biomechanical problems that go with being fat, um, I, I wear through a pair of shoes about every six months as well, just through normal walking around on them. And I can imagine if I, if I were running, you know, every day like you, uh, just it's the price you got to pay, I think. Um, yeah. And, but you know, I was surprised. I went to, um, there's like these two running stores in Dallas and I think one of them was Runner's World or, or whatever, the one I went to and they like, you know, they saw how I walked and recommended me the, and I put on these shoes and it was way more than I want to pay for a pair of shoes, but they were so worth it. They were like, wow. I, you know, there's cushion when I walk and stuff. And so I think I've just about crushed the cushion out and I've got, got to go buy some more. Yeah. See, and I've heard that before a lot when it comes to buying shoes, um, living out here in the middle of nowhere, there's, you know, you have Johnny guy who works at high school, you know, who's a high school kid who works in the evening that you're buying shoes from. Right. Um, and I've never actually had a pair of shoes fitted to me. Until when I was in college, and then it, yeah, it's a light, it's a it's a monster change when it comes to having just some shoe off the shelf versus somebody who's actually fitted them to the way you walk, the way you run. Uh, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, I I have large feet. I wear a size fifteen. Um, so the the if there's anything in the store, there's a pair of of white Nike high tops. And a pair of steel-toed boots, um, and that's it. Uh, so yep. years ago, uh, when I discovered Zappos.com, that became my shoe store. Uh, they are now owned by Amazon. Uh, the best that I don't get any money from them. They are not a sponsor of the show. I just totally believe in them. Zappos, Z-A-P-P-O-S dot com. Yep. The best online shopping experience possible. The idea, you know, you go into a shoe store and you tell the guy, I'm looking for a pair of black wingtips in a size 13. He goes back and he brings like five pairs to you. Um, and you try them all on and you walk around a little bit and you say, I think I'll take this one. 
Uh, well, Zappos brings that whole model to your home. You go online and you order five pairs of shoes and they send them to you at, at no cost, no shipping. Um, you try them on, you pick the one you want, you send the other four back uh, at no cost. Uh, now you do have to buy the shoes, right? So you got to spend the 600 bucks up front, um, but then they credit your account right back. So assuming you can float that, that micro loan there for a couple of days, it is just like going to the store and they have a 365 day, no questions asked return policy. I think that's a little excessive, frankly. Uh, but you know, their, their core competency, as they say, is customer satisfaction. So if you, um, you know, buy a pair of running shoes and then it rains for three months and you don't actually run with them. And then it's the first time you do, you don't like them. Send them back. No questions asked. They'll give you a refund. Zappos.com. They, they have excellent uh, shoes for the hard to find uh, sizes, right? So big guys like me, or if you got narrow feet or wide feet, uh, I totally stand by them. The problem I always have with buying from Zappos is the, and this is, it, it's a horrible problem to actually complain about, but they have too many. <laughs> you know, you pull up to the, you, you pull up their thing and there's like 15,000 pages of shoes for your size. It's like, I don't, I've never had that problem. <laughs> well, I'm in that, I'm in the size that, that, you know, the general size that everyone and their mother seems to be in. So I always end up, huh? I have 500 pages of shoes to go through to figure out which one I want. I just have such a weird foot. I mean, my foot's not as large as Mark's, but. I have like a high instep, high arch, extra wide foot on, on a 13. So it's just like, I, I've been so burned by shoes that I'm going to try it on. And I don't like the idea of buying 10 pair to find the one I like. So I'm glad there's a place I can go and spend too much money, uh, on <laughs> shoes. Yeah. The, the really the only problem with that whole thing is the fact that you have to shuck out the money ahead of time. But I yeah. certainly as a business owner, I understand why they do that. Uh, right. But they also do offer like Larry's credit card or not Larry's, but uh, Zappos credit card. Larry's is the store I used to buy from back in Texas before they went I out of business. I love Larry's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and because I, I would drive 90 miles to get there because they were the place that I could yep. find a, a pair of 15 4Es. Um, by the way, uh, just a, a word of, of patting myself on the back. I no longer need a 4E because as I've lost weight, my shoes have gotten smaller as well. So it's uh, it's one of those things. Um, good changes cool. bring about good changes. Good for you. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm now uh, down 115 pounds total. Uh, so for the first time in two decades, I'm under 400 pounds, which is is a ridiculous thing to say to celebrate being 390 pounds is ridiculous but when i came from over 500 pounds uh it's reason to celebrate so i, I try to keep both those things in mind yay i've come a long way and and boo i'm such a turd ball for being celebrating being at 390 pounds uh but you know yeah I, I for me i need both of those you know some people say don't be down on yourself no i have to be down on myself i have to have to be honest about how stupid i was and the the monumentally poor decisions i made not once not twice but every day for decades on end that got right. me there uh and so i have to be ever vigilant about that and and one way to do that is just remembering where i came from well, that's different though. You're being, you're remembering where you came from, not being hard on yourself for where you came from. I think there's a difference there, personally. Most people aren't self-aware enough to be able to criticize themselves like that. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we, we walk around emotionally and physically cut off from 
well, physically is the wrong word, but mentally cut off from our true selves. And, you know, we can't be that honest. So, you know, kudos again for the honesty you have. And, you know, and people who tend to be free thinkers uh, tend to be more honest and open with themselves. And, you know, it's just like when I go into a place, you know, I was like, um, I'd like the fat people section, please. And they yeah. go what? and they go, well, we don't have a fat people section. I'll go see you later. Um, because, you know, I mean, look, you're not insulting me by calling me fat. Every pizza and double cheeseburger and bag of chips and two liter bottles of soda I drank daily made this. It was a decision I made. And, you know, and I don't you know, yeah, I don't like being fat. I'm exercising. And, um, but you know, I still kind of do like being fat because, uh, of the food choices I still make that aren't great. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm honest enough with myself that it doesn't really bother me. And there's, there's been so many just, um, libraries, not, not just books, libraries of, of, uh, discussions about, are we, independent free thinking creatures with true free free will or are we just moist robots uh that the with a certain amount of input in a certain predictable output will come out and i i, I don't know where i come down on that i really don't i like to think that i'm a free thinking uh completely independent person with a will of my own uh but my own history shows me that i'm not you know given a certain set of inputs i'm pretty predictable in the way i'm going to behave um, and that what, what I, for me, the challenge is not to, uh, to just, you know, hang my head and say, I'm a moist robot. There's nothing I, d- I can do about it, but to reprogram the moist robot. You know, I've, I've, you know, I know what works for me. Uh, no, that's not even true. I'm learning what works for me. I know very much what doesn't work for me. Um, and so I think that's the, the, what you said, Seth, the intellectual honesty. A lot of people are unwilling to, to go through that examination and say, given these set of inputs, what is the output? Um, and let's not, let's not cloud it with, with emotion and spirituality and, and, you know, voodoo. Let's just look at the facts. When these things happen, this thing happens. When this thing happens, these things happen. Every time throughout a course of, of my life, I can see those things. Now, how do we change that? How do we reprogram the moist robot? Uh, so, you know, I'm somewhere in between there. If I were, you know, uh, a guy who liked running more and liked eating less, I wouldn't be fat. That's a fact of life. There, my my personal proclivities are towards sitting on the couch and eating. Those are two of my favorite things. Um, and yep. I can't change that. There's there's no part of me. There's no way I can reprogram the machine where I won't enjoy sitting on the couch watching reruns of The Flash while eating a cheeseburger. That's always going to be true of me. Um, so just acknowledge that, recognize it, and then try to make other steps. Well, and then you come up with other things you like to do. I like hanging out with people. So what's an easy way to hang out with people? Sit on the couch, watch reruns of Flash, and eat pizza and chips and drink copious amounts of soda. What's another way to hang out with people? Walking around outside, you know, or doing something, doing something with groups of people. So, you know, you, you replace the stimulus. You change the stimulus to get the same result. And in the process, you change yourself. So that's some free, you know, we should start a podcast reprogramming <laughs> the moist computer. That is a great phrase. I love it. It is. Um, the, the thing is there, there's some, some things that you can't do. There's the, I'm never going to love running. I just right. can't see a scenario where that's going to be the case. I, I've heard of people who, you know, they've made that transition from hating running to loving running. 
Uh, and maybe it could happen. Uh, but I just can't imagine that being the case. But running isn't the only exercise. Um, right. And and right. a lot of the research I've, I've, I've been doing over the last several years is exercise is such a small part of a healthy body. It's a healthy body needs exercise, but it is, it is a very small portion of the overall healthy body. Um, and it's so much more about the, the sleep you get and the food you eat and your, your, you know, the enjoying life is a much, as much a part of being a healthy body. You know, the, the mental attitude of enjoying life is, is, is as important to having a healthy machine as is proper exercise. So I, I think in the last, you know, couple of decades, we've gone way too far down the exercise route. And there's a lot of really fat, really uh, fit people. And we, we kind of think those two can't go together, but they do. You know, right. the, look at the guys uh, who just this week, the, they had the, the, the international uh, weightlifting competition. Um, a dude set a record for deadlift of almost 1,400 pounds. Um, you look at him, he's a big fat tub of lard. Who can lift a ton, right? So he's both fat and fit. Um, and you know, I was when I was at my best uh, physically, I was still fifty pounds overweight. They say, you know. Um, so there's, I don't believe that it's either fat or fit. Um, but you have to recognize that that being ac- healthy and being active is is ancillary to being. Um, I said being active, being fit and being healthy is, uh, wow, I can't even figure out the words I want to say. So healthy is not necessarily fit and fat isn't necessarily unhealthy. Right. Let me put it that way. Well, you know, part of that is we have equated skinny with fit. True. Like and uh, just look, be, just because find the meth head and tell me where how he's healthy. Right. Yeah. But just because, <laughs> you know, you're nothing but bones. Um, and flesh that doesn't mean you're healthy so you know i mean i, I know that you know they say it's like 80 percent is what you eat and 20 percent is what you do um and it's like like you i hate running that's why i set this goal is that i'm going to do a 5k a month at least so that i have that goal to shoot forward to and now i can build on my stubbornness to I'm going to reach that goal because I'm, I can be a very stubborn person when I want to be. So I'm taking that deficit of my character and I'm turning it into a strength to develop physical activity because otherwise, you know, I mean, there's lots of stuff I would like to, you know, mindlessly have on the TV while I'm wasting my life away playing on my computer every night at home. So. Yeah, I didn't intend to go down this route at all, but while we're there, the whole myth of 3,500 calories equals one pound is entirely a myth. It's been busted many, many times. Nutritionists uh, now disclaim that, but it's still considered the rule of thumb. If you cut 500 calories a day, that's 3,500 calories a week, you'll lose a pound a week, guaranteed. It's just so not the case, but it's still, con- it's dogma. It's it's a rule of thumb that has become the rule of law, even though it's, it's completely bogus. Uh, a guy in, I think, the 60s calculated that a pound of fat uh, contains about 3,500 calories. And that's, that was the only research he did. And it became that if you cut 3,500 calories a week, i.e. 500 calories a day, seven days a week, you'll lose a pound. That's just so not true, but we, I, I still see it. The, the phone app that I use calculates based on that. You, you, mm-hmm. you know, if you eat this much, you'll lose this much. And it's just so not true, but 
you know, that doesn't stop us. The, the world is full of things that aren't true that people believe. Right. And it's, I mean, it's look crazy at Trump voters. That people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you were saying? <laughs> no, I just, it's, it's amazing some of the things that people will, will believe. You know, that's just like with all the fad diets and how, um, you know, it's the same idea there too with fad diets and every in cleanses and things like that. It, it's just crazy. Yeah, the best math. If you want math, the best math is a uh, hundred calories is ten pounds. Um, so if you eat two thousand calories a day, you'll weigh two hundred pounds. Eventually, it may take you ten years to get there. Right. That's that's the rough math. You know, if you eat 3,000 calories a day, you'll eat 3,000, uh, you'll weigh uh, 300 pounds at some point. So if you want to lose 10 pounds, cut 100 calories out of your diet a day and wait, a, potentially a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, and well, then, and you know, that's the thing that calorie counting is good for. It's like if you keep track of what you rate, of what you eat, you get a baseline of the amount of calories you consume. And then it's like, okay, I want to come under that number. And if you consistently come under that number that you consistently consumed, you will lose weight. Um, Sometimes it's noticeable day by day. Sometimes, you know, it fluctuates and it could take, it could take weeks or a month if you're just a little under. So, you know, counting calories, well, you know, I mean, of course, there's if all your calorie comes from, you know, like sugar and partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, you might not be healthy in the long run. But counting calories is a metric that will help you lose weight, but it is not the metric. Right. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to jump off <laughs> a this bunch task. of fat guys. Yeah, talking exactly. Yeah. The, we're well, the worst people to listen to. Don't listen to me. I weighed 500 pounds. But we're we're trying not to be fat right. guys anymore. We're all all three of us are working on it one way or another. Yeah, the whole world is working on it. Um, so anyway, uh, enough of that. I, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention that happened this week, uh, just yesterday, as of recording the podcast, I honestly got a little misty eyed as the uh, MythBusters blew up their last ever item the the yep. show has come to an end uh there was a the final episode yesterday followed by a retrospective where all five mythbusters got back together um that show's been around for 14 seasons uh i have seen every episode of it most of them several times <laughs> uh it is one of my favorite uh, shows it's one of the few shows that my family and i can watch together um and we all enjoy watching together we'll continue to do it um i am you know I I have never been one to say that we need to get girls interested in math and science just for the sake of getting girls interested in math and science. But as the father of girls, I want them to know that that's an option to them. Mm-hmm. That being a, a a nurse and a teacher and a housewife are not the only options they have. If they want to be chemical engineers, those doors are open. If they don't want to, I'm not going to push them into it just because they happen to be girls. Uh, but this is that's a show that show BattleBots. You know, there there are shows like that where they can be, take an interest in the science of things, and uh, two of the three do. The third one does not. That's fine. I'm not going to push her into that. But um, I think that that we've lost something as a society, something that I'm not going to call it was important, but was um, one of the few valuable things on television is now gone. I would agree with that. That was one of my favorite shows. When I found out that they were shutting it down, I was I was really sad. I, I, I was surprised and 
I was expecting them to be blowing things up until I had grandkids because you really, you really could do that until, you know, you can't move no more. Yeah, my, I, my, I was sad when Carrie left the show. Yeah. So <laughs> my, my daughter, the seven year old asked, you know, as we were watching, we, we taped it last night. We were watching it today. You know, why did they end the show? I don't want them to end the show. Uh, and you know, I said, because people weren't watching it in the same numbers that they were plain and simple, yep. you know, uh, 14 years ago, they had a small audience. It grew into a really big audience. Now it's a small audience again. And, uh, if you want a show to continue, you got to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, we did, but the numbers said that, that other people weren't, and it's just the way it is. And plus they didn't like each other. So, yeah, but they did work together very well. Yeah, that's true. Um. So I'm sure that there will be other things. I mean, uh, really, that show all came about because Jamie had a special effects shop, and all five of those people were his employees, uh, and they they just happened to get a whole other career out of it. Uh, so think he'll keep do, making his stuff. And uh, if you remember the Pepsi commercial where the the Pepsi machine turned into a, a, a like a transformer robot and launched cans mm-hmm. of people, he did that. Jamie did that. Uh, and so he'll continue doing those kind of things. And Adam is now an internet celebrity and he'll continue to be. And, yep. uh, Cary Grant and Tori, frankly, I don't know what happened to them. They, they went away last year and fell off my radar. I'm sure they're still, um, out there somewhere, but, uh, somebody needs to pick up the mantle of making science fun. Uh, you know, in our generation, that was MacGyver. Yeah. MacGyver right. made science fun. It was also really bad science. Uh, what I liked about Mythbusters was they made a genuine effort to make the science good. Yeah, sometimes I thought their science was a little suspect. Well, like I said, they made a good faith effort. Uh, they they didn't. All, there were many times when I would be talking to the television, saying, "You have you've ignored this variable. You've glossed over this. This is not a valid mm-hmm. test." But overall, they showed the proper scientific method. You think right. you, you form a, a, a hypothesis, what you think will happen. You go test that hypothesis. Then you, you know, vary the, the variables. Um, that's why they're called variables because they're made yep. to be varied. Um, and, and then you, you fail spectacularly and learn from it. And, and that was one of my favorite parts about the show is that they put the failures right out there in the open and, yeah, and, and said, you know, oops, this wasn't supposed to happen. And they rinsed and repeat until they ran out. Right. Uh, so that's that's all I had. Uh, let's see. Next here on the list, uh, you have joined the new phone club, Chris. I have. Um, I followed your your guidance a little bit and went uh, with the uh, Motorola Pure Edition, which is a beautiful phone. I'm actually quite impressed with it. I see you have that clear bumper that they ship with it. I do. It. Yeah, mine do. broke, and I got a, a rubber bumper that's much more comfortable, but it was also I'm, 40 bucks. It's ridiculous wait- how expensive they are. I- yeah, I'm waiting for my my uh, permanent case to come in the, from Amazon. Uh, but yes, it's uh, the only reason I have the plastic bumper is because the day I bought it or the day I unboxed it, my lovely daughter decided to hit my hands, and of course it goes skittering down my hardwood floors. And I'm thinking, wow, let's find out how good the Motorola replacement <laughs> plan is. <laughs> Luckily, though, it it didn't there's no damage, but I figured they gave me a clear plastic bumper case i might as well use it because i will break it i'm sure so what are your impressions of you only had it a couple of days what do you think of it so far i'm very impressed with it um a lot of the issues i had with my older phone have uh, uh, easily been taken care of because it's got more power more everything um i i'm not too sure about 
the uh, the wave your hand over it to wake it up to look at the screen. Oh, I turned all that off immediately. Yeah, I'm, I'm about ready to because it looks like maybe my sensors got broken when it got skittered across the hardwood floor because it constantly wakes up and shows me the time, even when I'm not anywhere near it. So... I don't know about that part, but uh, I'm impressed. It's lonely. It's reaching out to you. (laughs) It is. It's calling for me to touch it, and I don't like to touch it. (laughs) But the uh, the only the only one of those that I still use is the the voice agent because that's really the one trick pony. Is that with the screen off across the room, you can speak to it. You know, you you other phones. You know, my Nexus, for example, you could say "Okay, Google," but only when the screen was on. This will listen to me, and it's a customizable phrase, which is great. Uh, yep. That and the driving feature I use. All the others I turned off. Uh, I have a, the, the app I've been using for years, the Agent app, does most of those better, and I already had it, so I just use that. Yeah, I haven't gone through and turned off all the Motorola stuff yet. Um, that's going to be soon on my list of things to do because, again, I use Agent like you do, Mark, but I also tied it with um, my trigger program that I talked about yep. before. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of, I don't even have to touch the phone to change any settings because it already does it when I need it to. And the, uh, it's a, the, the bloatware on it is very minimal. It's almost a Nexus device. Yep, but, it's uh, very pure. Yeah, that's why it's called the pure. Yep. And I, I, I love it so far. I'm, I'm impressed with um, and we have two different use cases, Mark. You have a problem with the battery life because the screen's on for you. I'm enjoying the fact that I can go all day, um, almost a full 12 hours without having to worry about plugging it in. Yeah. So it just I all depends it. on what you do. So if I, uh, I can take it off the charger at 7 a.m. and throw it on my desk and play podcasts with it all day, um, for, you know, and at, at five or six, I'm down to 30%, which is totally respectable. Uh, when I get home at the end of the day, I'm down to like 10%. Uh, but the moment I turn the screen on to do any kind of navigation, to, to, to attack, you know, email, to, to use the, the Google Keep app, anything that actually requires that quad HD screen to go on, the, bat- the battery just goes nowhere. So I still end up charging it um, at least once a day, usually on the way home. Now, it's it's minor. It's not even an inconvenience. I throw it in the dock. I plug it in. Problem solved. But I do need that. And I'm looking for the day when I don't have to, when I can take a phone off the charger at 5 in the morning and put it back on the charger at 11 o'clock at night and never need to touch it in between. That the, This is 2016. We should be able to do that. We should be able to. But the quick charge, uh, I will have to say, surprised the heck out of me the first time I used the quick charge feature for it to go, you know, 15% to 80% in, you know, less than a TV show in length. Um, that's crazy. That's absolute crazy there when you can f- charge your phone that fast. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, and my, my wife has the, uh, uh, one plus one and she has all day battery life. Now, she uses her phone differently than I use mine, but she plugs it, she unplugs it at, you know, seven in the morning and doesn't plug it in until nine, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, huh. And it's a big battery. It's a standard HD scre- screen instead of the quad HD. Yeah. And, and her use is different. Well, I would bet a big part of that is the fact that the screen isn't quad HD. Yeah. I would say a big, big portion of that. Um, yeah. I'm, which nobody needs on a five-inch display. Nobody yeah. needs four thousand pixels 
on a five inch display. They, they just did it so they could check a box uh, yep. on the marketing material. That's exactly how I feel about it too. I, the one thing I do kind of was I was hoping that my next phone would have had Qi charging because that was my next. I was like, my next phone has to have Qi, but I I ended up going with the Pure because I just from all the reviews and everything I've seen of it, the uh, the Qi charging just isn't there, and I'm I'm honestly not. I'm not worried about it. I do miss that from my Nexus, but the quick charge makes up for it. Yeah. You know, Qi charging is, is uh, that's the wireless charging where you throw it on a little puck or a little plate. Um, because you're doing wireless induction, it never pushes quickly. It's intended to be a trickle charge all day long. So I had a puck at my desk, had a puck on my car, had a puck beside the couch, and just all day long, wherever my phone, when it wasn't in my pocket, it was charging. So I pretty much always had a 90 plus percent battery and that's super handy. Um, and I do miss that convenience, but the, the quick charge, uh, kind of makes that a non-issue because I can plug it in and be at 80% in 15 minutes. Yep. Yeah. I'm actually at the point where I'm thinking about buying another, char- another quick charger for work just in case, just so I have it, you know, as that, oh crap, I, I was on the phone too much during that meeting because I wasn't in, I didn't need to do anything and now I'm almost dead, but. I, don't know I, I do have a charger at work. It's not the quick charger, but it's a you know it's a three amp guy. Yeah, um, standard. And yeah, and it's it gets me a little boost throughout the day if I need it. Um, which I you know I'm I'm a paperless guy as much as I like to be. So when I'm in a meeting at work, I'm taking notes on my phone. So the screen is on for you know hours every day. The yeah. screen on time is six eight hours. So I don't blame it for for taking a hit, but it doesn't have to be as big a hit as it is. Yeah, I wish there's a way to to turn off some of those pixels when we're not needing them. You know, to be able to like toggle a switch in your settings, saying, "All right, I'm going to go watch a movie now, so let's turn it up to Quad HD." And now, oh, I'm just going to be doing email. I don't need Quad HD. Let's knock it back down to standard def or something. That would be cool. Yeah, I probably not functional, but don't even know if that's physically possible. It's a neat. I idea don't know either. There. But um, wouldn't it? That would be an awesome idea. <laughs> I think a better idea is just not shove that many pixels into a tiny screen. You don't need it. Uh, so we've completely lost Seth. He has gone off the reservation. I don't know when or if he will be back. So he had a couple of things he wanted to say, but <clears throat> we'll have to pick up with those later. Uh, <clears throat> but first, let's hear what you had to say in our uh, listener feedback slash mini rants, as Seth likes to call them. And I kind of like it. Uh, Jeff, <clears throat> excuse me, leaving a post in our Google Plus community. Uh, says, hey, Everyday Lin- <clears throat> Geek Rant guys, uh, I'd love to hear your take on this. I know the lack of apps would be difficult, but don't you think that since most websites are moving to a responsive design, having their site work well on phone-sized screens as well as desktops, that the ability to use the web page would mitigate that shortcoming? How would you like to have a desktop, uh, Chrome or Firefox, running on your phone with uBlock Origin and LastPass add-on? That would make a great... Uh, make." <clears throat> the lack of a vibrant app store less of an, uh, would that make the lack of a vibrant app store less of an issue for you? So what he was talking about, and I forgot to put it in the, uh, the, the link in the notes is the, uh, Ubuntu convergence. So it's, it's canonicals latest attempt to do what other people have tried before. And that is have the OS, the full desktop OS on your phone and the desktop features of it come alive when you dock it and the phone features of it are available but when it's not docked. Uh, the first person I can think of that tried that was Motorola in their Atrix design. Yep. 
um, miserable failure. It didn't work well uh, as a desktop. And because of that, some of the shortcomings uh, bled over into the phone. Ubuntu is pushing that right now, saying that's the thing. Uh, Windows has been trying that uh, since Windows 8. Uh, yep. even Windows 7, really. They're trying to have one OS for everything. And I get it. It makes sense uh, from a design perspective. It makes sense from a coding perspective. Why have two OSs for two different environments? Well, I can tell you why. Because you use them in very different ways. Yep. Um, so, Jeff, to answer your question, uh, having web apps as opposed to native apps, we tried that in the original iPhone. Um, and uh, Jobs came out and said, we won't have apps. We won't need apps. We have HTML5. We have the full web on the phone. We don't need apps. That lasted exactly one year. And then they came back the next year and said, the revolutionary, nobody's ever done it before except Palm and BlackBerry. Uh, App Store, uh, look, where you no longer need web pages, you can have apps. And I think the problem is that um, as good as web apps are, they're just not as good as native apps yet. Will they be someday? I honestly don't know, but they're not yet. I would hope they will be. Um, That's one of those things that I would love to see that HTML5 actually gets utilized to its fullest. But I have a feeling that we're never going to get to that point for for because of one reason or another. People are going to say, I want my app. Give me back my apps. Um. Yeah, and the idea of having your phone dock into a thing that would give you then a full desktop just sounds, it sounds like you would want it, and it sounds like you'd, you know, that everybody would, it would be the next great thing. But would you really want your phone to be your workhorse like that? Uh, and think of all the, the, the different docks you would have to have in order to push that type of a thing. Cause if in like at home, like when I just changed over to mo- this Motorola phone, it's a completely different phone than my HTC phone was. The connectors were the same, but you would have to have a dock for each different phone for it to fit. Um, yeah, I, I just think it'd be, and I don't have a problem with, uh, my, mobile version of Firefox with all my extra add-ons for uBlock Origin and LastPass. Do you? Yeah, Firefox can do that. It is it is not the full desktop, but it's really close. Although yep. I can't get the uh, um, LastPass add-on to work as it should for some reason in Firefox on my phone. Oh. Um, but that I think the issue at hand is that we fundamentally expect and need a different interface at the at the six inch level, the three foot level, and the ten foot level, and and as much, companies are trying to push convergence, where the humans don't want convergence. They they see you know there's there's uh, efficiency of design, there's efficiency of code, there's efficiencies all over the place, uh, and they want that because it's a good idea. The trouble is there's no market for it, and every yeah. time it's tried, it has failed. Not because the technology isn't ready; that's part of the problem. But the real problem is that people don't want that. I don't want my phone interface on my TV. I don't want my TV interface on my laptop. I don't want my laptop interface on my phone. I use them in different ways. The reason I need a laptop is because I'm doing something that I don't want to do on a phone. And if you shrunk down my laptop to a five-inch square, I still wouldn't want to do that. I would want to use it in a laptop form factor. Even if it was exactly the same hardware and exactly the same software, I wouldn't want that because I use them for different tasks. Yeah. I mean, for for that exact fact, I mean, would you want to try and do... 
any form of writing on a phone. Even if you had a full screen keyboard, on uh, I wouldn't. I mean, uh, other than than uh, you know, note taking and and small form factor stuff, uh, emailing that sort of thing. No, I, I would not want to write a long form article. Uh, I know I see people at work. I see it all the time. They have their their Surface tablets or their iPads or whatever, and they have the uh the the full experience right they've got the 10 inch tablet in front of them with the keyboard case and at that point particularly if you've got like a surface pro you essentially have a small form factor computer um and i get that and it's great but you're using it like a laptop it's not a tablet anymore it's it's a laptop that can be used as a tablet but i never see those people i don't say never i rarely see those people using it as a tablet they're using it as a laptop so what they didn't need was a tablet they wanted a small thin laptop and the Surface Pro is great if you want a small, thin laptop, but it fails. And 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 I only judge this not from experience, but from watching other people. It fails as a tablet because people don't use it as tablets. They use it as a small, thin laptop. If it was a good tablet interface, I would see more people using it as tablets. Yep. See, that's just like uh, um, I'm trying to find a way to to, to write when I'm on the road because I don't want to carry my 15 inch or my 17 inch laptop with me everywhere I go. Uh, so I thought about maybe doing it on the phone and that was a, a exercise of, oh my God, I want to break my phone because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't write at all. Um, so I, I completely agree with you, Mark. That's exactly the problem is you use your device in a different way and you don't want your phone interface on a big screen. It's, but- it's pointless. I've also been on record on this show saying that I think that at time, in time, that convergence will happen. Uh, and there will just be a single device and it will be your device. And, and I think what will make that happen, what will bring that to pass is that we will figure out the interface problem. We'll have a computer with an expandable screen and with a pop out keyboard. And, you know, we, there are physical things as in laws of physics. That we're going to have to advance before we can we can have have that. It's not a we can't do it with the existing technology. I, I hate the fact that we're still using a keyboard designed in the late 1700s, but the fact is, it is currently the most efficient, most widely used interface device uh, for any device for any um, any human machine interface. Um, so much so that we've taken that keyboard invented in the late 1700s we've made a software version of it and put it on an all glass screen where it's almost useless without some sort of ai intervention i.e autocorrect um and that's what we're using because it's still as dumb as it is the most effective human device interface we've got to get past that before convergence can be useful Exactly. And also the fact that we're using the same key layout that was designed to slow people down. You know, that was a, a revelation that I learned way long ago that surprised me that the QWERTY keyboard was designed to slow people down because people were tying keys up. Right. The most <laughs> commonly used letters in the English language are on the left-hand side because most people are right-handed. The, uh, mm-hmm. the most uh, uh, commonly used letter combinations are spread out instead of put together, um, all to to uh, overcome some technical limitations of the time. But it, it's, it's a line I've used a thousand times on the show, and I'll use it again. Inertia is the most powerful force in the universe, and yep. even more so human inertia. 
once humans got headed down the road of the QWERTY keyboard, there it is. Even, even so that now the slab of glass in my pocket it's has a QWERTY. software QWERTY keyboard on it. It's ridiculous, but it's human inertia. Have you ever tried to change, Mark, to, to, like, to Dvorak or anything like that? No, I never have. I tried, and it was the most painful two-week, or I gave it a two-week trial, and after a week, I, I wanted to tear that Dvorak key co- that Dvorak key layout out of my, out of everything and throw it away, because it was by far the most painful transition that I ever attempted. And that's why so many people are working so hard on the natural language interface. Um, and that is going to go a long way. You know, when we can speak to our computers and they can speak yep. to us in a natural language format, that will be huge. But it's still not going to solve everything. Um, you know, you don't want to have uh, dozens of people in a call center, uh, you know, dictating to their devices. Uh, it's, I mean, it's... People do that now, right? You you have a bullpen of people on the phone, and there's a cacophony there, uh, uh-huh. and it's it's difficult for the humans to parse out what's being said, which is when we fall back on text. You know, you'll have uh, somebody on the phone and also instant messaging because the instant message is clearer than the phone text, or they need to send a side channel conversation. If all you have is uh, is natural language, the side channel becomes very difficult if not impossible so again it's the it's the wetware it's the humans that are the problem in this equation um and smarter people than i are going to have to figure it out well and they'll have to get you know up and it, it would have to be a magnitude of change to get rid to change the the interface that we're using now it would have to have such an inertia to overcome the qwerty keyboard or anything for that matter and I think I think because we we humans speak with natural language, that's a a big uh, part of it. But you know, so much of what we say, so much of communication isn't words. Um, and right now, there's not any technology that can take into account body language, uh, uh, gestures, um, facial expressions. Uh, we're going before we can truly have a natural interface with a computer. It's going to have to know how to do all of that as well. Um, and we're just not there yet. And, you know, I, I want to be there. I really do. But for now, this QWERTY keyboard is the way to go. So all this roundabout discussion, Jeff, to say, I don't think lacks, lack of apps is the problem with Ubuntu's convergence. I think the problem is it's solving a problem that is, that nobody wants solved. Well, it's it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't truly exist at this point. All right, moving on, Classy Video Games, that's that's his name, uh, or at least the name he signed his email with. I, I like uh, it. He says, thanks. He says, I'm a longtime fan of the show. I'm so glad you guys are branching out from only Linux stuff, although I'm a huge Linux advocate. I would just like to say thank you guys so much for making such a wonderful show, and hopefully I'll hear more of your rants in the future. Sweet. Well, Welcome to the show, Classy Video Games. Um, I was saying earlier, uh, by the way, during that last discussion, Seth came back and I was like, oh, great. He's going to get to weigh on this, weigh in on this, and then he went away again. So, Seth, come back. We need you. Um, but uh, the, tri- the Triforce is missing its third leg. As I was saying before we began the show, I'm kind of at a point right now where I'm over Linux. I'm just over it. Um, I've never been a hardcore neckbeard. I've never been bandana guy. Uh, I've always just been an advocate of using what works best. 
Um, and most of the time that I use Linux, it was for the cost savings, the, the free beer of it, not the free speech of it, the freeness as opposed to the freedom. Um, I am an advocate of freedom, but in, I've never used it, uh, use Linux because of the freedom. I've used Linux because of the freeness. Um, and I'm at a point now in my life where, uh, I can afford Windows. Largely because, you know, Windows has become more affordable and because I'm at a higher, uh, you know, income rate. Uh, and the freeness of, of Linux is less of an appeal to me. And I, I'm just over it. It is so difficult to do things. Now, uh, let me say every OS sucks. Windows sucks. Mac sucks. They all suck. Android sucks. It's, it's a given, but. At, you caught me on a bad day, classy video games. When you when you <laughs> you talk to me about you know uh, Linux advocacy, um, I am having so much trouble with the one. Well, that's not true. I have many Linux devices in my house, but the primary computing platform, the laptop here in front of me, is running Linux, and it's the one that I have the most problems with, almost always in terms of interacting with other devices. Uh, networking, um, USB, uh, you know, peripherals, things like that. I'm just tired of being a second class citizen. And for all the bravado of how this is the year of, of the Linux desktop, Linux users always have been, and I'm convinced always will be second class citizens in the computing world. Chris, talk me off the ledge. I, I would if I could, Mark, but I'm with you. Um, I, I, you know, most of my, I would say all of my devices that I physically touch except for one, is Linux. Um, no, I take that back too. My wife's laptop, I tried the whole wife in Linux thing and that was almost a recipe for uh, divorce. So uh, <laughs> I quickly gave her back Windows um, because I like my wife. But uh, I mean, all my other devices, I mean, I run Linux on everything and I've gotten to the point now where it's too heavy. I don't want that interface anymore and I don't need the freeness or the freedom because it's all, all of the things I end up doing now are all online. I don't have any local services for almost all my stuff. Um, I do have a couple of servers, but those, you know, Linux one in the server room that, that's been our standing for a long, long time that Linux one in the server room, but they lost in the home. Um, my servers are Linux or Unix of, of one variant or another, and they'll always be that way. So I'll always have to have that Linux information in my head. But, man, when you're trying to do just something simple, like we were complaining earlier, Mark was having an issue with file, you know, file sharing between devices in his house. That's ridiculous. There should be no problems talking over a network. It's a universal trans, you know, it should be universal. If you're talking, so, you know, network file share, it should be network file share. And there should be no issues. And the fact that we still have an, a, the simple thing of, you know, trying to share that file with that computer going through the network and it breaks or they don't talk the same language anymore is stupid. Yeah, and I have that trouble Linux to Linux. I'm not talking about you, oh, you yeah. can't you Microsoft people can't blame me for saying, well, you're using you're using a Windows chair. No, it's one Linux box to another Linux box. Um and and it's I'm just I'm I'm over it. Um and I, I want I want that passion back. I really do. But Chris, I think you hit on it. Um I'm now four years removed from life as a Linux as a as a system administrator. Uh, yep. When I was a system administrator, Linux was my lifeblood. 
it no longer is. And so now I'm kind of seeing life, you know, on the grandma side of things where I'm just a user. Um, and I, I, I'm almost repentant of the, the, um, uh, evangelism in the past of trying to push Linux on the desktop to users because I was an admin and I understood the, 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 the foibles of it. Well, now I'm a user and I'm pretty frustrated with Linux. I, I, yeah. Linux come back. You know, Jeff, you talked to me about this Ubuntu convergence. I, that's more Linux in my life. And where I am right now today, you talk to me in, a, in two weeks, it may be different, but I want less Linux in my life right now. I'm pretty fed up with it. Well, it, but I think the thing is, though, is, you know, we, we're, you want less Linux in the front of your life. You know, it, the, the day to day interaction. It's always going to be the back end. True. And that's where it should stay because that's where it excels. If we could have Linux in the front, it'd be a different story. But it, nobody wants to deal with it. Everyone wants a simple, the simplest interface to get the job done. It's Arkham's Razor for computers. You know, yeah. that's why, that's why iPhone and that's why Android have taken off so hard because it's simple. It's a button to get to what you need. Seth, quick, before you crash again, weigh in on on uh, Linux uh, and the desktop and uh, uh, convergence between uh, handheld and television and laptop devices. Well, I am a big proponent of the concept of convergence, but we're not where we need to be yet. Um, I will love it when the same code base is controlling my tablet, my intermediate device and my large screen thing, you know, maybe a, a subset of it, but where whenever I have like the Atrix was, I was so hopeful about that because if you have, it has a phone, it's a little phone, but if you plug it into its dock, it drives a full size monitor. Uh, but back then the hardware wasn't ready. I would love to have the mobile interface when I'm wanting to do something quick on my phone, but have the larger interface whenever I'm connected to a dock. I think that would be the best. It's not there yet. Convergence as it is today sucks because instead of having the best of all worlds, you get the worst of all worlds. So what is sucky about the mobile interface? We'll pull that out. What's sucky about having a laptop? We'll pull that out. And what's the absolute worst possibility of using the desktop? We'll combine all of those things and we'll call it convergence. And that's how come it sucks now. So that's how I weigh in on that. Is that kind of the same point y'all had? Yeah, pretty much. You just kind of said everything we yep. just said. Rick okay. Rick in the chat room says, less than 90 days from everyday Linux to Linux sucks. Uh, uh, while that's funny, Rick, and I give you credit for it, I was I was saying Linux sucked even when the show was called Everyday Linux. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I've turned around on that one yet. There for the longest time, I was the only Everyday Linux guy for a little bit before Mark <laughs> put one of his machines back to Linux. So <laughs> I'm I'm just... I, I'm I'm fed up right now, uh, and, and I've said that several times throughout this co conversation. Um, and and I'm not saying Windows is the answer. I'm not saying that if I go convert this laptop back to Windows, all of my problems will go away. They won't. Not at all. You just at have least, different problems. Yeah, at least I'm in the same boat with everybody else, and I'm not that guy over there rowing his own little dinghy through the same troubled waters, complaining about things. At least I'll be in a nice, big, warm boat with other people who are sinking. <laughs> yeah, we don't know where we're going, but at least we're all going together. <laughs> Woohoo! Because yeah, right I'm, now, right now, I'm the lone guy having troubles facing it all my own. Yeah, and see, I've gotten to the point now where I'm actually to the point where I want to try a Chromebook. I want to buy one just because 
I don't need the heaviness anymore in my life. And and I don't, other I'm than podcasting, I could do everything I needed to do on a Chromecast. That's the only thing right now. Yeah. Producing and editing this podcast, I need a real computer for. Otherwise, a Chrome would Chrome a Chrome not Chromecast, but a Chromebox would be everything I needed. So yeah, I'm at that point. Um, I I jumped off the cliff with my son this this winter. He uh his Linux machine still runs his games, but ninety nine percent of the time he's on his Chromebook, and I sat down in front of it, and I can see why. While I'm on the subject of Chrome and Chroming and, and complaining about things, I have a, a recently I put an Android TV box upstairs replacing my Raspberry Pi, uh, secondary media center. So the primary media center, it's still a combination of Raspberry Pi running OSMC and the Plex, uh, server, um, for the Plex is just the outside. So, uh, the Raspberry Pi handles all the database, all the library. The Plex just leeches off of that using, uh, Samba, actually. Um, and, uh, when I need to look at something outside, if I want to stream something on my phone, Plex does that. And the upstairs box was using UPnP because that was the only stable network interface I could get. If you know anything about technology, you recognize the heresy of what I just said. UPnP was the most stable network infrastructure I could find between two Raspberry Pi devices. Wow. That, yeah, that's that's insane. I feel like washing my mouth out with soap for just having said that <laughs> sentence, but it's the truth. So I replaced that with an Android box, um, and that gave me some things. It gave me Flash, again, uh, for the, the things that need Flash, right? Um, it's not officially supported, but I can go grab it. It gave me Netflix, which Netflix doesn't work on a Pi at all. Um, and so it gave me a few things. And so I'm thinking, now why can't I use this as a Chromecast target? It's Android. It's Chrome, uh-huh. right? It's it, it should I should be able to... No can't do that. And the only reason I could come up with is not technical, but just because Google wants to sell Chromecasts. I should be able to load the Chromecast APK and I probably can go find it out there and put it somewhere. I just haven't done that yet because it's again, it's the issue of I don't want to hack at it. I don't want to be, um, you know, band-aiding and duct taping and bailing wiring things together. I shouldn't have to do that, Google. I'm talking to you now. I just, I yelled at Canonical. Now I'm going to yell at Google. Yeah. Two multi-billion dollar companies are going to listen to me. Um, but why can't I use your Android operating system as a target to cast from another Android operating system? I can't do it because you want to sell me a $35 device. Great. I would buy the $35 device if it could do one sixteenth of the things that the Android box can do, but it can't. It's one trick is receiving Chromecasts uh, yep. to it. That's it. It's a one trick pony. It's a good trick. But that's the only trick it's got. And I refuse to in, to add another HDMI input device to my system, program a re, the remote and all those things to do another thing just so that I could have the one trick that I should already have in an Android box. I'm, I, I, I just, I'm apoplectic about why I can't do that. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand it either. That's, and I see, I see the same problem though. Um, with well, and it's it's the same problem, but with a different company. With Amazon, you cannot Chromecast Amazon. Oh, you also can't run Amazon Prime on an Android box. They yep. they just totally strip that out because they're. D- <laughs> 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 yes, yes, that's the answer. That that I, I like that one. Darn you, Amazon, and your awesome service. Why can't you be less of a dick? <laughs> 
I'm going to have to edit that. But <laughs> it just there was no better word I could come up with in the moment. That was the appropriate word. That I think it still is. I think you should leave it. <laughs> that's 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 not one of the words we can't say on TV. So I think we should leave it. Seth, what are your thoughts? Man, I don't He's know. He's speechless. <laughs> I, I I mean, you know, I splurged and bought a Roku four, so um, that does okay between that. And I'm, you know, and Roku me and is a great box if you don't have any local media. Yeah, otherwise and I, it's a and it's an amazing device. I have a bunch of DVDs that some of which I've never even watched yet, but I still have them. I've yet to rip them. I've yet to build a media center box because. Honestly, I'm too lazy and I don't care enough about media. I'll, I, I don't even like to turn on the Roku. I'll just flip through my dish and gripe about how much they charge me and look for something that's mildly non irritating. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm lazy when it comes to consuming my media. If I want to watch a really good movie, I will go to the movie theaters. So I read about something just today. I haven't tried it because, like I said, I just read about it. Maybe it's been around for a long time and I didn't know it. But apparently the Voodoo service, V-U-D-U, um, okay. owned by a lot of uh, uh, manufacturers, Walmart being one of the biggest, um, uh, has a service where for a dollar, you can if you, if you can insert the Blu-ray or the DVD into your computer and show them that you own it, for a dollar, they'll put that in your streaming library. Really? Uh, so an extra dollar gives you streaming access to media you already purchased. Now- the you know the libertarian side of me says that's ridiculous you're charging me a dollar to view something i already have but the other side of me says this is exactly this solves the roku problem yeah right so it's going to cost me 300 bucks because i have a library of 300 dvds but i could put them all on the voodoo service and watch them through the roku now it's not something i'm going to do simply because it's cost prohibitive but if you're not like me and you don't have a big library of physical media and i think most millennia millennials don't it's just us xers and older that are still invested in physical media i still yeah. buy the dvds i just just this week bought the martian on dvd when i could have had it last week streaming but i waited a week to buy the physical because i wanted the physical uh, i recognize i'm sort of a troglodyte in that and me caveman uh but um, the, the idea thing- now of somebody offering that service is a pretty sweet deal um, for to bridge the gap between the millennials and the Xers. You know, so the but problem I you- have with streaming is the one, it's the only reason I haven't jumped off the off the de- off the deck and and you know gone all in into streaming. Well, you're capped. Yeah, your 640k your cap well, will eat into any streaming but- you do. So. <laughs> but besides that. Besides the cap, I mean, because at this point, I've accepted the cap, and I know I'm going to pay out the nose for it, and I'm, it's just annoyance. But what happens if Voodoo goes out of business? That's my issues. I don't have any way of pulling my media back if I buy it through Google, Amazon, Voodoo, YouTube, whatever their purchasing thing system is set up as. What happens if those places go out of business and I can't get my media back? Do you know how upset I personally I would go out of my mind if if I lost, you know, if if I changed over and bought everything online and all my stuff just went up in smoke, I would lose my mind. There would not be enough of these sensor buttons in the world to uh to stop me. <laughs> Seth, what were you going to say? No, I was, gonna, I was just pointing out that that dollar to do that 
because otherwise, what are you doing? You're taking the time to actually rip um, these devices and, you know, and that chews up cycles on your CPU and it's just time and hassle to do all that and to set it up where you can then view them. So to me, the dollar seems like a fair price. And but you still have Chris's concern. What happens whenever, you know, that system goes away? You know, all the people who bought uh, books through Nook. What are they going to do when Barnes and Noble finally gives up the ghost and Amazon's not going to all of a sudden start reading Nook formats? So you're, you've lost all that money. But you know, I mean, that's, and of course, but you know, big companies will never fold. We know that. So I would do the dollar if they would send me a, a digital copy of it, an, an MP4. Uh, I would too. Because that, that solves both of your problems in one. Yep. Um, but the issue is that I pay the dollar for something I already bought. So I already paid twenty dollars for it. Right. Now I'm paying another another dollar for it to have access to it on somebody else's server. So if my internet goes out, I can't watch anything. As it is right now, somebody cuts a fiber going to my house, I have access to my entire library of, yep. of movies. Um if we go on vacation, I grab that two terabyte drive and take it with me. And and I've done that, and we've watched things, um, you know, in hotel rooms where I'm not paying the twenty twenty nine dollars a night for internet for crappy internet access <laughs> there, uh, which you can't even most of the time um, uh, attach a Roku or something with it anyway because there's no way to get through the captive portal. So these are all problems that could be mitigated by Voodoo sending me an, uh, a non DRM'd or even a, I'm, I might even be okay with DRM if there was a local Voodoo player. I, that's a might, um, because now but if actually local, never it's not mind. Gonna happen. I'm, I'm not going to do that uh, because I want to play it when I want to play it. I want to play it on my phone. I want to play it on my Raspberry Pi. I want to play it on my Android TV. Um, so never mind. I just completely erased what I said. Uh, <laughs> I need a non DRM version, and which they should be able to supply me because I proved to them that I already own it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I own is a DRM. And so then they would be the ones breaking the federal law of break of rip, breaking the uh, encryption instead of me. That's what I do every time I get a DVD. The moment I get it, I become a felon. I break the encryption. Breaking the encryption it. that's technically not illegal because all you're doing is making a backup copy. That right. is no. that is legal. Having the backup copy is illegal. Breaking the encryption is legal. So I'm com- committing an illegal act in order to commit an e- illegal act. So and speaking Welcome of illegal act. Just to, to bring this up, what did you guys think of when uh, Slicelof got shut down? Who? Um, you know, as it's, I'm surprised it took that long. Frankly, there was some treaty between company uh, countries that made that happen. So Slicelof uh, made the any DVD software uh, that uh, was oh, okay. one of the big one of the big Blu-ray ripping softwares. Yep. Um, there are other, you know, C- CD rip or excuse me, DVD ripping is now infrastructure. The yep. Live DVD CSS, Live CV, Live CSS DLL. Uh, well, I can't remember, whatever it is. That's everywhere now. And that, that horse is out of the barn, but any soft, um, was really the, the top of the heap for Blu-ray ripping. Yep. Um, and M, MK something. There's another service that's doing it right now too. Um, I'm blanking on what it is. Yeah, I can't think of the name um, of it, but yeah, MK it's, it's a format. Right, but yeah, the, the MKV is the format, but the yeah. software is like make MKV. I think that's what it is. Is the software anyway? So SlySoft uh, was in some offshore country. Yep, in the I, Caribbean. I wish I had paid more attention to this article because it was just a it was a yawn for me. Um, a guy breaking U.S. law 
got uh, shut down by the U.S., even though he wasn't in the U.S. Um, yeah, gone. Uh, but he was in a he was in a country f- friendly with the U.S. Had he done it in Russia or China, um, that would have been uh, much less likely for that to happen. Of course, then if he'd done it there, the 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 jackbooted thugs might have come to his house. <laughs> they might. And if you're going to be somewhere, you might as well be in the Caribbean, right? If right. You're, if you're evading extradition, wouldn't you rather be there than Siberia? Definitely. Yeah, it's M. It's Make MKV. It's the other one that that okay. does it. So yeah, um, it, these are all symptoms of not technical problems, but legal problems. Yep. Um, and and people trying to hold on to the to the shifting sands and say, no, we will encrypt our stuff. It's encryption has never stopped one movie, not one movie from being torrented. It's never happened. It never will because there's people out there that are going to do it on just a spite or as a problem. It's a puzzle. Right. How many how many geniuses are going to go through and figure out puzzles just because someone says, "Hey, this is supposedly unsolvable." Yeah, and every time they they beef up the encryption, it takes a few weeks for somebody to to break that encryption. Uh, and the problem is that if I have a Blu-ray player that I can go to Walmart and purchase for thirty bucks, they can't in- introduce an encryption that this device that I've paid for can't break because that's that's contrary to their business model the whole point is is they want to sell this product to people who've bought that product so if there's a device that can break it and there's and there's always no matter how good they get there's always has to be this backward compatible for the legacy devices it's it's crackable it's never stopped not one movie from being pirated but they still hold on to it and the only people they punish are the people who pay for the product i mean i could have had the martian the day after it was in the theaters, even yep. maybe probably before if I looked in the right places. But I yeah. was a good boy. I paid for it in the theater. I liked it enough. And when it came out on DVD, I went to the store. I purchased the physical copy. And you're still punishing me. You're still treating me like a criminal for buying your product legally. And it hasn't stopped the piracy even a little bit. It's I could sick. actually probably go get a better quality version than I paid for online if I probably. wanted to. <laughs> And that's just like the gun laws too, you know, not to go too political on this, but that's the same problem with gun laws. Gun laws aren't going to stop the bad guys. All right. So I've just decided next week, guys, uh, make a note of this. Next week, we're going to go all out political. Geek Grant goes political. We're, <laughs> we're going to stop dancing around these political things. We're in Oof. an election year. We're three opinionated guys who don't necessarily agree on everything. I think it'll be interesting. So next week's show, Geek Grant goes political. If you don't like it, you can skip right over that one. <laughs> All righty. This should be interesting. Um, <laughs> all right. One last bit of uh, feedback from David, who takes back his heresy, and it's <gasps> about time. He says, hey, guys, to be honest, I had forgotten that I'd written that email that I would rather watch episode one, two, and three over, over episode, episode seven because they had heart. Uh, over the two months or so between what I've written the email and when Mark read it on the air, I have changed my mind. I still need to rewatch the prequels in a, as in full disclosure, I haven't seen them in several years. No, you but don't I can need to rewatch say, them. No, Just, you don't. No, but I can say uh, that I have 
I lost my train of thought. But I can say that I've come around and would rather watch Episode 7 over the prequels. I'm glad to know that I wasn't the only one to pick on, up on, on some missing element, though, even if I have to go to the drawing board and wonder what that element was. Maybe it was Opie. I don't know. Thanks for keeping me <laughs> humble, David. Um, also, we're going to have, I think it's time to spoil the crap out of that movie. Um, three months now, it's been long enough. So we need to have a spoiler cast about episode seven. So they, I'm programming the month of March right here as we go. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch it just before the show. So we can, I think we should, we should all rewatch it before. Well, it's not we out have, yet. So it, we'll have to right, wait till it it's out. It's probably still in the theaters, isn't it? Not up here. <laughs> probably somewhere. So uh, it's coming. I'm not sure when it's coming, but yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it after the DVD release. Um, and we'll just have a full on spoilers episode. I think that works. All right. So we're, we're, <laughs> it's ridiculous. We had no topic, nothing to talk about. And we're an hour and 20 minutes in. Yeah, uh, we have one, what read one little bit of news. Uh, so we're just no news this week. And Seth has like six pages of news here. I always feel bad when I, when I skip the news section. Uh, but I'm going to do that and we're going to go straight to Seth. What happened this week in history? Okay. Well, this week in history, March the 8th, 1955, a harbinger of early computer systems, Whirlwind's director is demonstrated. Um, this happened when computer pioneer Douglas Ross demonstrates director for MIT's Whirlwind computer. Director presaged um, operating systems for computers. Uh, it gave instructions to the four-year-old 4500 vacuum tube computer. Um, it resided on paper tape. And was a precursor to job control language operating systems. Um, anyways, a big influence on like, um, you know, IBM's early designs and everything. So one of the earliest operating systems was demonstrated March 8th, 1955, wow. 61 years ago. Dude, and that's I'm, a long time And ago. I'm going to go on record as saying that OS sucked too. <laughs> No, it blew away everything that came before it. <laughs> there was nothing to compare it to. It was brilliant. Can you imagine day. having to load your programs on a piece of ribbon paper? Uh, even, this was before punch cards even. So you had this wrong, long piece of like um, uh, calculator paper that you had to feed in. And if it broke, you had to start over again. Oh, what a terrible life that must have been. That would have been rough. And then Absolutely. once you got it all fired up and you spent hours booting up the the machine, loading all the, the operating system, getting everything ready to go, you had something about as powerful as a $10 Casio calculator today. Yep. Probably, probably not even that. Um, golly, 4,500 vacuum tubes. So I, that's that's nothing. Yeah, so uh, a tr a tube then is a one or a zero essentially. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it could it, it, it could have forty five hundred operations per second. I, I guess. Um, I doubt it could read if it's reading the paper. It's probably not going per second. That's true. Maybe operations per minute. So that's why I think your calculator. I think maybe like uh, we're talking coffee machine here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Solar yeah, panel. On there. Just the basic solar panel. Um. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, everything has to start somewhere. And I wouldn't be whining about Android OS today. I wouldn't be whining about not being able to Chromecast to my device uh, were it not for... Um, 
Oh, the guy. Who's, so what's you're the saying this name? is Douglas Ross's fault. Yeah. So Douglas, Douglas yep. Ross yep. screwed up your your so androids. It's, it's all him. Yeah. The pioneers take the arrows, and I'm lobbing an arrow at you, Mister Ross. No, it's it's great. That one of the things that excite me most, you know, as much as I whine and lament the times in which I live, is that innovation is moving so quickly now that it's really hard to chart like the this date. You can say this is the date that essentially the computer OS was born, yeah. March 8th, 1955. We're in such a blur of technology right now, it's hard to know when things are happening because something is forming into something else and pivoting and becoming something else. And, you know, when did social, when was social media born? Maybe MySpace, but not really. You know, we're not really sure. Finster. And so, yeah. That was uh, really the first big social media network. Yeah. It, big is a relative word there. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the things that are ubiquitous now, the, the phones that we talk about now, the, the Apple likes to say that they invented the, the, the modern smartphone. They invented the, you know, the piece of glass that you rub on. Um, but there were a million innovations in between the, 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 the camera in the phone, right? That was before the iPhone. And, and now it's just a ubiquitous part, you know, multiple cameras. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Things are happening so quickly and so blending together that it's hard to know when something began. So it's kind of nice to be able to look back with clarity in history and say, this is the day that something started. Yeah, it is. Um, Excellent com- color comment. Well, I, I was going to, I was going to talk about something else, but it would just, Go- it would be a uh, change of direction. So. Go ahead. Do it. Okay. Well, it's a new story that I was going to put in there. Ray Tomlinson died this past week. And if that, that name isn't familiar to you, Shame on you. Um, this is, uh, he is the person who invented the email. Um, you know, really made it possible for communications between computers and between peoples on, on computers. Um, he died at 74 years old this past week. So rest in peace, Ray Tomlinson. So, and th- this is another sad thing. Computers have been around for so long now that the pioneers were losing them. So. Yes. So the uh, and and we've talked about that. I, I know uh, I've I've ex- told the story on this mic before. Um, he needed a way to address a message to another person um, who connected to another server, and at the time there were just a handful of servers. So he addressed the message to um, Bob at uh, Orion. I, I've made up both of those names, and so the at sign became the way you talk to people. Where what server does Bob work on? Well, he works on the Orion server. So this message is Bob at Orion. What server does Jim work at? Well, he works on the the Gemini server. So this Jim at uh, Gemini, yeah. the at man. And he said it's the only preposition on the keyboard. So that's why I used it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, go. I mean, but you know, if you think about it, it makes sense. You have the user at the host, and that's still the way it is today your username at your host which now the host is a website so whatever at gmail you know edl at or i guess it's geek rant now at elementop.com yeah it's uh it's beautiful and elegant and uh simple 40 years old and it's not his fault uh he didn't cause the spam (laughs) no but it did happen very shortly thereafter yes because of him so darn you for spam, but congratulations on the email. I, I can't remember the the guy, but there's a guy who who admits he spent sent the first ever spam email. Yeah, and it's and um it's saved. You know, like the first email is lost to history because he said it was just kind of like he was just 
testing, like, you know, hit a couple of keys or something and see if it works. But the first spam was advertising a digital equipment corporation computer. And the sad part is it was hugely successful. He, they sold a, a back then, you know, now selling 10 or 20 or 30 units is like ridiculous. But whenever you're selling 10 or 20, 30, you know, multi, tens of thousand dollar units that was a big deal so the first spam message was very successful and you know because of that it is still around today and you get spam today because somebody bought from spam yesterday yep just the facts of life mm-hmm. all right seth you have a show closing spectacular link here that frankly i'm a little scared to click <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> this is a totally pointless website um it is called creepy girl and it is just well go to it and then you have to move your mouse around oh i don't like this at all if you move your mouse around on the web page it will uh track yeah i was okay with it until i noticed how bloodshot her eyes are i don't i don't (laughs) how are they how are they doing this is this a completely anamorphic? Are these still shots they put together? Is this fully animation? I can't tell. It's flash. It's very uncanny valley. And then just leave your mouse alone for a second, and she just kind of stares off into it, space. And it makes her super happy when you move the mouse. Like if it's been sitting still for a while, and then you move it, she gets this weird grin. Yep. This, if you ever wanted to know what uncanny valley meant. Here you go. This is where you find it. Put the cursor right between her eyes. She actually tries to cross her eyes to look at it. I'm creeped out. I really am. It's impressive, but weird. Oh, that, that actually sums up Seth. Impressive, but weird. If if the next time Seth sends me uh, a uh, uh, somebody uh, looking for a job and they ask for a job recommendation and they say sum up Seth in a few words, <laughs> impressive but weird. That's Seth. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, in the middle of the screen, just move your cursor back and forth about the width of her eyeballs and watch her eyeballs. (laughs) Just crazy. Anyway, you know, randomness, pointlessness. This is, I came up with this and I thought it would be cool. So creepy girl to really freak you out. So I don't like it. I don't like it. (laughs) I'm closing the tab. Nope, I'm done. <laughs> okay, well. So now you, the listener, have to go check it out. Does it work on mobile, Seth? Um, I haven't tried it on mobile. Um, I tried it just on my tablet, but. Well, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's Flash, so it may not. Uh, okay, so that ends the show. This was just a, a random hodgepodge of discussions. Um, I hope you like it. Uh, if you didn't, well, there's nothing you can do about it. It's already happened. Um. Oh, the uh, the chat room wants the link posted in there, Seth. Uh, can you do that while I'm talking? I or, got or, it, Chris. Yeah, because okay. I'd have to sign into the chat room. All right. So anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, that's our show. Thanks for hanging out with us. We had uh, more people live in the chat room than we've had in a long time. It was four people. Awesome. That is just, that's tremendous. That is a fourfold increase 
of what we normally have. Maybe it's because I don't tell you when we record Sunday evenings at around 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I don't want to be lying to you and say that we start at 7.30, but sometime between 7.30 and 8. Um, and you can come hang out with us and be like Rick and Element 431, and there were other people there, Tony. Element 879, and Tony from the Sunday Morning Linux Review, who now hates me. Um <laughs> So, um, come check it out. Uh, no, you reviewed it. It sucks. So, <laughs> you were being very forthright. 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday nights. Uh, also, there's a it, when we deviate from that, there's a calendar, actually, on the website that nobody ever goes to. Uh, I know because I have a tracker on it, and nobody's ever there. But if you go to elementop.com, <laughs> um, you can click on the, the calendar button, and it every show we do, when we produce it and when it's released, is out there. All one shows that we do every week. Um, is there and uh, and you can check it out. <laughs> and the uh, the, and the chat, chat room, room hates is, it. Is responding to or at least Seth creeped Link. out by it. Um, so anyway, uh, check it out. But also the most important thing that you can find there at elementop.com is the tip jar. No, I'm kidding. That's the second most important thing. The most important thing that you can do is uh, use the feedback button right there at the top of the show it says contact us and uh, you will go in there and you'll fill out a form and uh, let us know what you think good bad or indifferent actually indifferent we can do without good or bad we'd love to hear about it so let us know uh what you think about the show and in any directions you'd like us to go to next next uh uh in the next you know future and i started to say next show but there's probably not enough time for us to do something next show but what do you what would you like to uh, to do in the future what would you not like us to ever do again like the creepy girl thing i think we should never do that one again um, if there's a creepy boy you know i'll give him equal time <laughs> creepy cat, so uh, maybe. you know buy seth a better connection you know that could be some feedback that we could get there uh, but anyway uh elementop.com click the contact us button or if you can send us an email to geekrant at elementop.com and uh, that will send us an email or you can if you would like to have your voice appear right here alongside mine on the show you can call 559 imop leave us a, a voicemail on our google voice uh mailbox and we'll play it on the show we love it when you do that uh so we're kind of free form and, and going with the flow. So your input matters now more than ever before. So I'm, I'm letting you drive the show. It's a big responsibility. Also, the next best thing that you could do is tell other people about it. We would love to see more people listening to the show. If you like it and you think they would like it, let them know. Um, not everybody's into uh, a show that's an hour and a half of geeks talking about things that tick them off. Um, but if you know people who would be into that, let them know and, uh, and, that would be great. Uh, go to the iTunes store. Whether we like it or not, it is the podcast directory of record. If you could leave us a rating and a review there, it would be great. We have many, many. We have an order of magnitude more people who download this show than who have ever reviewed the show. So I'm calling on you to fix that problem. Yes, you may be a Linux geek. Yes, you may hate Apple. Just suck it up. I'm asking you as a personal favor, suck it up, create an iTunes account, um, and and leave us a review if you can't do it borrow somebody your mother's you know, iphone uh yeah. subscribe to us just start one stop it then you can review it and then you can delete it off her phone and she'll never know somebody you know in your life has access to itunes so you know we'll just, just do that for us i appreciate it uh so that's it thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next week because that ends this episode of the geek rant 